Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. A mistake I see a lot of people make. If all you have is a money goal, it's easy to give up on that and fail on that because it's really not that big of a deal versus I want to send my kids to college or I want to retire by age 50 or other more impactful things in life. Let's put it that way. Welcome to the best ever show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm joined today by Travis Watts and Slocum Reed. Travis and Slocum are fellow co-hosts for the best ever podcast. This is our weekly roundtable where we pick a topic and share our discussions with all of you. On today's episode, we are going to dive into the topic of scaling your real estate business. The first thing I have is advice and lessons learned for scaling your real estate business. Slocum, if you would, a brief introduction and talk about some of the lessons you've learned throughout the process of scaling your business. Absolutely. Thank you, Ash. Slocum Reed here, apartment owner operator in Cincinnati, Ohio. And on the podcast, in one or two of these roundtable episodes recently, and in a couple other episodes, I've talked about the McDonald's analogy for scaling an active apartment portfolio. How when you have 
one McDonald's worth of apartments. You can run everything yourself like a general manager of a McDonald's. When you get to two, it's really tricky because you can't afford a general manager and you have to do everything at two different restaurants. But when you get to three and beyond, you have the ability to build out a team that runs the day-to-day operations for you. Generally speaking, my advice is to get through the two McDonald's phase as quickly as possible because when you have your first 10 units, maybe your first 20 units, depending on your personal situation, you can handle everything yourself. You can take the calls. You can either find the handyman, schedule them, or go fix things yourself. But every apartment investor scaling a portfolio gets to a point where they can no longer handle all of the activity, but they also don't have enough of a portfolio to hire people to work exclusively for them or to go where they are told to go when they are told to go there. So the biggest lesson learned for me is don't stay in that space between being able to do everything yourself and being able to hire people to work for you and handle the operations. Don't stay in that space too long. It's really worthwhile to not buy the wrong deals, but get aggressive and find ways to get to the point where you can hire out the day-to-day operations of your real estate investing when it gets too big for you to handle everything by yourself. Yeah. Great advice, Slocum. And the reason I picked this topic is just like everything else, I seem to learn things the hardest way possible. (laughs) So I'm going to share some hard lessons with you as well. Travis, if you would, a brief introduction And talk about what you've seen, because you're involved in the multifamily syndication business more so than probably anybody I know. So talk about what you've done to scale your own business and what you've seen others do in terms of making mistakes and big wins that they've had. Sure. Happy to be here. Osh Slocum, Travis Watts, full-time passive cash flow investor. I'm with you, Osh. First of all, I spent six years doing it the hardest way possible. I just wasn't very good at single family homes. So started with some house hacking and having a roommate, moved into fix and flips, moved into vacation rentals. And the reason, as I reflect back, that I think I kept pivoting that way is because quite frankly, I sucked at everything. So (laughs) I wasn't building teams. I wasn't easily able to scale. And most of the people who are limited partners like I am in syndications just don't have the time or the ability to scale actively. That's just not what their time and energy goes into. So my biggest lesson was from a couple mentors that introduced me to these syndications around 2015 out of a local real estate meetup group. And that was my light bulb moment in 2015 that I could still be in real estate. I could leverage other people's time, expertise, and all the rest. And it's much easier to have 100 limited partnership interests even with property managers on them. That was my biggest reason for exiting single family and moving into these syndications. And to speak from an investor relations perspective, as I work with Joe Fairless and Ashcroft, I see that as a pain point for so many people. I hear it all the time, bought a few single family home rentals in my own market, but I just don't enjoy the process or I just don't have the time to manage it. So I guess it's that coupled with the velocity of capital, which we've talked about in previous episodes here on Roundtable and passive investor tips as well, which simply just means continuously rolling over my cash flow profits from sales and things like that to further scale 
my cash flow and passive income. So that's been my strategy to answer the second part of your question, mistakes I see people making. I think that the biggest mistake is to enter into being a landlord without having any knowledge, which is exactly what I did. I didn't read the books. I didn't have the mentors. I just thought, oh, this is easy. I'll go buy a property and I'll put it up for rent and I'll figure it out. I'm going to cash flow 500 a month for the rest of my life and pay off these things. But things happen. It's a people business. It's reality. And it's a lot harder than I thought and a lot more time consuming. Yeah. Thank you for that. I want to talk about if there was one pivotal moment where you knew what you were doing wasn't working and it was time to put systems in place and properly scale. For me, I started out with just one property. I didn't know where this was going to go. So before I knew it, I had property number two, three, four, five. And at the time, the Excel spreadsheets worked just fine. My expense tracking was lackadaisical, but when it came to tax time, I was lost. I would lock myself in my office for an entire weekend and do the best that I could. And then later on, find a bunch of expenses that I should have written off, but I didn't because I wasn't properly tracking things. And it was at the moment where I realized how much money I was leaving on the table and how I wasn't optimizing anything that I was doing where I realized I need to embrace scaling, put systems in place. Slocum, was there a pivotal moment where you got inundated and realized what you were doing wasn't working? I have a couple of moments that I'll share. The first, I had just turned 30. I was barely into real estate investing. I had gotten my residential sales, real estate sales license. I had joined a team. I had left that team when it was no longer the right opportunity for me. And I remember sitting at my computer handling some sales for my clients and thinking to myself that I just couldn't wait until I could hire someone to handle the back-end paperwork for me. Not the negotiating and the contract, but all of the other components of getting to the closing table. I realized pretty quickly that those things can be scaled through finding someone who's a freelance transaction coordinator, hiring part-time instead of full-time. The other one though, more specific to commercial real estate investing, the same month that my first child was born was the month that I took over my first really commercial apartment building, 24 units. And to a specific time, this is not the most fun story to share, but on my daughter's first birthday, which she doesn't remember, thankfully, I remember I needed to be showing apartments at that property because I still had too many vacancies. It was a pretty serious reposition. And I was using a snow shovel to shovel used cat litter out of the parking lot and get it into the dumpster because I had showed up 30 minutes before my showings because I wanted to make sure everything looked right. And I remember thinking to myself, this can't happen on the second birthday or the third birthday or any birthday after that. I really should be spending this time with my daughter. And scale is one of the things that has made that possible since then. I'm not missing birthdays. I'm not missing anything with my family because I've gotten my portfolio to the place where, well, first of all, no one at that property is dumping cat litter in the parking lot anymore. That tenant's gone. But also I have the people in place to handle that and keep the momentum going at those properties, making sure that they're performing without me needing to be there doing things like that. Yeah, it seems like we need those moments to really kick ourselves in the butt and realize that we've got to make some changes. Thanks for sharing that. Travis, 
any pivotal moments where you were inundated and realized that this just wasn't working? Yeah, so many. And I was laughing as you guys were chatting there, just thinking back at how amateur I really was. <laughs> so I'm in the midst of flipping a home. I think it was my first flip. And I realized I don't even own an electric drill. I don't have really any tools. I got a hammer and a screwdriver. You know, I'm trying to do rehab myself. And I remember this was an awful moment. I remember having to call my mom, who lived somewhat locally, to come help me <laughs> with a renovation. It wasn't her skill set, wasn't my skill set. It was just the blind leading the blind. It was just one of those moments where that light bulb goes off and you're like, what am I doing? And I didn't have any special skill sets. I didn't have any connections. So there was certainly that. Another instance was I worked for an oil and gas company and there was an employee that had just relocated from Texas to a Denver area. And he's like, hey, man, I'm just looking for a place to live. And I happen to have one available. And I didn't know this person very well. But just because they were a coworker, I was like, hey, man, you know me. I know you. It's all good. You can just rent my place. Didn't do any screening. Didn't do any credit checks. Just was, we're buds, right? So the first month, no rent pay. The second month, late. The third, no rent pay. The fourth, they're busting up my place. It was like no pets. And I did a drive-by. They had two cats up in the window, just put brand new carpet in the house. Those cats ended up peeing all over this carpet. It was an awful, awful mess. Almost got to the point of eviction. They ended up moving out on their own terms. But again, it was like, what an amateur, man. I didn't do any kind of screening process or anything. So it really came down to knowing you and your goals and your criteria and your skill set and all that kind of stuff. And that was the other thing. The third thing I'll point out is I didn't have defined and clear criteria. I didn't have defined and clear goals. If you had asked me back then what I was doing, well, obviously I didn't know what I was doing, but I would just give you money goals. Oh, I want to make this much a month cash flow or this much in equity or whatever. I didn't have any lifestyle goals. I wasn't thinking beyond the current year or two. And I think that was a huge mistake and a mistake I see a lot of people make. If all you have is a money goal, it's easy to give up on that and fail on that because it's really not that big of a deal versus I want to send my kids to college or I want to retire by age 50 or other more impactful things in life. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I had a single family tenant that also turned my house into a petting zoo slash daycare. <laughs> it was horrendous. So we've had, I'm going to say the luxury of having lived through those pain points and those pivotal moments where we implemented changes, what advice would you give to the young people scaling their business so that they don't have to go through and endure as much of that pain as we did? Travis, I'll start with you. I would say first thing, again, back to lessons learned is that there's people out there that are really truly professionals. And you can partner with these people in so many different ways. It could be a joint venture. It could be through a syndication. It could be some kind of 50-50 arrangement, whatever. But the point is really self-reflect and figure out what it is you're good at and try to partner with someone that has the opposite skill sets that you need. So real estate, as we all know, is truly a networking and a people and a team business. So never forget that. Even in my case, I'm an individual limited partner, but I am relying on teams and other people's expertise to carry my portfolio along. So it's kind of that can't beat them, join them for me. <laughs> so yeah. that's some great advice, I guess, that I would give out. 
We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. When it comes to scaling your real estate business, is lack of capital holding you back? Raising private capital on demand can be a major challenge, but you can get the knowledge and tools you need to succeed when you attend Dana Cornell's four-week Raise Capital Masterclass Live. After starting out with no capital or relationships, Dana has raised over $1 billion twice in the past 20 years, and he has made it his mission to share the best of what he's learned with business owners and investors like you. You can learn more at danacornell.com forward slash best ever. Dana's Raise Capital Masterclass Live allows you to immediately unlock and raise capital on demand, drastically increasing your business's growth. If you're ready to take your business to the next level, go to danacornell.com forward slash best ever to enroll today. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at passiveinvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. Passiveinvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Slocum, how can you advise some of the younger people or some of the people just starting out and help them avoid all the pain that we went through? That's a great question, Ash. And Travis, as always, is very insightful. I don't advise that people avoid all of the pain that we went through. A couple of basic advice that I give people getting into real estate investing, especially on their first couple of deals, is that I recommend that with each of their first few or several deals, they expand their comfort circle one rung at a time. There should be one component of a deal, of a business plan, of a property that they're not fully comfortable with, Everything else is fine and they know how it'll work. They have a solid understanding of the tenant base, but they've never taken over the rehab. They're great at rehab, but this tenant base is a little bit different from the one that they had previously. Or it's a 10-unit building and they're used to four families, something like that. I recommend that newer investors be learning and having some of these experiences. I do not recommend that they dive into the deep end of the pool immediately and have all of the issues all at once. But frankly, part of the reason that the three of us are good at what we do now is because we had to go through those trials, tribulations to get to where we are. So I don't recommend that people don't do that. I recommend that with each deal they do, they add one tool to the tool belt instead of getting a whole new belt and needing 15 new tools for a single deal. Yeah, I love that advice and I love your incremental approach. I'm going to share with you a story that I should have listened to years ago. A friend of mine was a home builder. His name is John Z. And when I saw him run his business, he was never there. And I asked him one day, I said, hey, John, when you have a young couple building their dream house with you, do you not show up to a design meeting, pat him on the back and say, hey, Johnny Z, owner of the company, thanks for building with us. He says, no, and I won't. And I'm like, people are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars with you. 
you won't even meet your customers? He said, absolutely not. And I'm trying to get inside his head. And he told me he was given advice by a very successful home builder. And that advice was set your business up to where if you leave for six months and come back, it's better than when you left it. And to me, that was such a foreign concept. I didn't understand that you have to work on your business, not in your business. Took me the better part of probably seven, eight years to figure that one out. But it was such great advice. And one more piece of advice is act as if you're going to scale your business. Act as if that one property is going to turn into 20. I wish that I had put systems in place while I still had ample time by only having two or three properties. I should have systemized things back in the day. Now it's so much harder to unclutter different spreadsheets and put them all into different systems. So if you think you're going to scale, act as if you're already there and put your systems in place. And I've seen people who have built their business from the ground up with those systems in place and their rise to the top is exponentially quicker than a lot of other people that have those growing pains. Thank you all again for that advice. What is your current bottleneck in your business? Slocum. Ash, that's a great question. I would say right now, the biggest bottleneck in my business is hiring. I know that I could grow faster in every direction that I want to grow. If I were doing more to build a bigger, better team of people around me, I will say I'm prone to blame myself. I know that there are macro factors, the craziness with the labor market, how difficult hiring has been for the last few years. We're recording in August of 2022, but really it's the work required in finding the right people to add to my team. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. And that actually leads into my next question. And that's going to be talking about how other people or other parts of your team have helped you. Thanks for sharing that. Travis, what's your current bottleneck? Number one, not having a crystal ball. I'm still looking for one. If anyone has one for sale, let me know because there's a lot going on in the world with interest rates and to all of your points, Slocum and recession and government policy. So here's the thing. I tend to be a more macro level investor, but sometimes I can go hyper micro as well. And it's tough to get caught up in that and trying to remember you can't time markets and remember the kind of dollar cost average over the long haul. So that's just been really tough. We all know things go in cycles. We all know real estate's been on this super long bull trend. So it's kind of impossible to know what lies in the future. So it's that the bottleneck itself is that hesitancy to keep investing and know that you're in this for the long haul, but then not to get too micro-focused and scared and be sitting on the, the sidelines. Yeah. And back to that next question, it took me years to hire an assistant and I should have done that years before I actually did. And this person has actually moved up to be my operations manager. And it's just an absolute game changer when you have other people on your team helping you. Slocum, how have other people helped you scale? The biggest thing here, I have ADHD, which frankly means that I'm really good at a lot of things that other people are not. But I'm also really bad at a lot of things that most people are good at and some people excel at. So frankly, hiring out my weaknesses because my weaknesses are so much more acute 
than for the average person. It's been really beneficial. It's been really simpler to identify, especially using tools like the disk profile. It's been easier to identify what people have the inherent traits, personality traits, and characteristics, values that will work well with me. When hiring, I do check for a person's values more than their experience. So long as they're more of a natural personality fit, I want to hire a bubbly, personable person for bubbly, personable work. And I want to hire a quiet, detailed, focused introvert for quiet, detailed, focused introvert work. Outside of that, I make sure that I know that these people's values align with mine. And I will say getting out of my own way back to my first example, when I first turned 30 as a real estate agent, when I finally was able to hand off the paperwork and the logistics of a real estate transaction after I had done a good job representing my client in a negotiation, my business started taking off because I was able to focus specifically on my zone of strength and the things that felt light to me and not the things that felt heavy that are not necessarily complicated to do, but not the right fit for me. Yeah. Thank you for that. And again, the advice is if your business is profitable and you're inundated, you have no excuse not to hire help. Travis, how has either a team or being part of a team helped you? Love both of your points on that one too. I would say first and foremost for me, just the syndication model and me being the limited partner in that yin and yang has helped me obviously scale the most, get in different markets, learn, get a lot of exposure from a lot of different operators. Say number two has been mentors. I'm a huge fan of finding people that are doing successfully what it is you want to do and just making them your mentor, whether paid or unpaid, take some time to do that. And Other parts of my team that have been a huge help over the years is having a competent CPA who is also a real estate person so that they really understand from their own personal side what's going on. So I look for people who do syndication investing and are also CPAs. And last but not least, asset protection attorneys and that kind of consulting to make sure that you're fundamentally structured from the get-go. The last thing you want to do is get real good, build these skill sets, build up your net worth, and then lose it all in a lawsuit or something like that. So you got to kind of plant the seeds, build the foundation. My team's pretty small these days, and those people have really helped me scale that model. Great advice, gentlemen. A great conversation today. Any final thoughts on scaling, Slocum? The biggest thing for me that I touched on at the beginning as well is that I recommend Listeners, please bridge the gap from being able to do everything yourself to having other people on your team partnered with you or working for you who can do things for you. Bridge that gap as quickly as possible. It's painful to rely on people who aren't dedicated to working for you and have them cancel, postpone, ghost you. Bridge that gap. Scale through that gap quickly so that you can build out a team of people to handle your operations. Slocum, thank you. Travis, any final thoughts on scaling? Three takeaways I'll share. Number one would be educate first and then experiment second. I had that kind of backwards when I started. Number two, double down on what's working. That was the best advice given to me by one of my mentors that I took to heart. Number three is invest most heavily in what you know and understand best, but also keep 
learning and keep experimenting. So I've said this before, but I do the 80-20. So 80% of my portfolios and what I know and understand best, but 20% is experimental, other asset classes, other strategies, because there may come a time you need to pivot. And again, the last thing you want to do is get super good at just one thing. And if that one thing stops working, you're kind of out of luck or you got to take six to 12 months to relearn something new. Great advice, Travis. Thank you. And again, my advice is act as if you're going to one day scale your business. But I love Slocum's point. You need to endure a little bit of pain to know and motivate you to put those systems and that team into place. Best ever listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Please join us again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day.